welcome to the New Life Fellowship podcast. New Life Fellowship is a community of grace in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. Our goal is to teach and share and experience the life of Jesus Christ together. You're about to listen to a message from one of our meetings. Please make sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca. Without further ado, let's listen in. Well, being that it's it's Easter, I thought we would take a <clears throat> a little bit of a side trip uh, off from our, our topic on marriage. We've been working through marriage, and we're halfway kind of through that, uh, that that topic. But being Easter, I want to take a, a bit of a, a side trip, and and it's a tangential side trip, meaning that it's very much still related and connected to our our study on marriage. And and the reason for that is because our relationship with Christ is a marriage. In fact. We're called the bride of Christ. And in the book of Revelation, it talks about the, the marriage supper, the celebration of our union with Jesus. And, and that's because our, our relationship with Jesus is very similar to a marriage, which means that the better we understand one, the better we understand the other. And, and in our relationship with Jesus compared to marriage is a good one because both are covenantal relationships. And so I, I wanna talk a little bit about covenant this morning. And that's because I think largely in the West, we've forgotten about what covenant is. We we don't really know what it really means, even though we still have elements of it in our society, elements of it in our tradition, and we're doing it without even realizing that we are doing it. For example, how many of you guys out there, when you first got married, when you when you came home from the honeymoon and you, you brought your bride home for the very first time, you didn't just sort of walk in and drop off the luggage. How many of you guys, like me, swept your bride up in your arms and then crossed into the home? You crossed the threshold, right? Carried her over the threshold. I did that, I remember. You know, even though you know Joy was living in that apartment in Toledo at the time, before we got there, opened and unlocked the door, opened it up, and I swept her up and carried it over the threshold. And I didn't know why I did it, other than that was what I thought I was supposed to do as a, as a new husband. And yet that was an element of covenant because what happened, what we were doing in that moment is by me carrying her over the threshold, by bringing her in, was making a statement. It was another element of covenant that, that was honoring the threshold covenant. And again, that still happens in large, large, uh, large parts of the world without re realizing it. But basically when someone walks in your front door, they're stepping over a threshold. They're, thresh they're stepping into your home and you're entering into a covenant. Whereas if they come in that front door, you will do them no harm and they will do you no harm. You will look after them and protect them as a guest and, and they won't betray you in any way. But if someone breaks in through a window, well, all bets are off. They haven't entered into that threshold covenant, and now you get to do whatever you want with them. And, and so that's this idea here of, of threshold covenant. But like I said, in, in the West, in our culture, we've largely forgotten about it. And, and so what I often hear people saying about covenant is they compare it to a contrast, or sorry, to a contract. And, and I think that's, that's, you know, I can see the comparison there, but it's sort of like saying that, uh, you know, a little rubber dinghy is, is like a ship in the same way an aircraft carrier is a ship. I mean, they, they both float on water, right? They're, they're basically the same thing. And yet they're two very, very different uh, things. They're, they're not quite the same. And, and so that's the same thing with contracts and covenant. You see, the thing about contracts is they're so easily broken. 
I mean, think about the, the corporations and governments or, or even athletes when they want to, to renege on their contract, right? They sign this big contract. They want to stay in on this, this city and with this team for the next eight years. And then after two years, they want out and they, they quickly find a way to break the contract. But covenants, covenants don't work that way. You, you can't break covenants very easily. And so it's really important for us to understand covenants. Not only that, but the Bible really is, is a book of covenants. It's using covenantal language. It's sort of like a legal document, right? You, you, you read through a legal document and you come across the word shall, you know, that, that word is loaded with meaning. Shall's not a recommendation. Shall's not a think about it and then do it whether you want to or not. When you see the word shall in a legal document, that is a must. That is a have to. That's a requirement. And so there's, there's certain things, certain words used in, in, the, uh, in the Bible that is leaning on that covenantal language. You know, in the word he, in the, uh, Hebrew, the word hesed is a covenantal word. And, and it's often translated as loving kindness or, or uh, mercy or, or compassion, but it's, it's rooted in covenant. So it's more than just a feeling. It's more than just a maybe or not. It's because of a covenant that God's gonna show loving kindness. So it's really important, I think, for us to understand it because, again, there's multiple covenants that are, are laid out for us in the Bible, primarily the covenants between God and creation, God and mankind. And so if we can understand those covenants, now we understand the terms of engagement. We understand how do we approach God and how does God approach man. So it's, it's really important for us to understand that. Now, again, there's many kinds of covenant, right? We talked about the threshold covenant and, and another one that is probably the most powerful one is the blood covenant. And, and there's a saying in the Middle East today that, that goes by this, that, that blood is thicker than milk. And, and what they're saying by that is if I make a blood covenant with someone else, that blood covenant is stronger than, than the relationship I have with my own brother or my own sister or family member, right? That, that my brother and I, the, the milk comment is coming from that we, we both fed from the same, same mother, but my covenant by blood that I've entered into with someone else is actually stronger and trumps that. Meaning that I would betray my own brother than I'd betray a blood covenant. And again, we, we don't necessarily understand that in the West, but that's the thinking that's going on in large parts of the world. And when you understand the, the power and the strength of covenant, now we can understand stories in the Bible a little bit better. For example, how many of you have been confused when you read the story of Lot in Genesis, where, where the angels come to visit Lot and, and they take up refuge within Lot's home? And what they've done is they've entered into a covenant. They crossed over a threshold and Lot says, you are now under my protection and I will sacrifice everything in order to protect you because that's my job. So when the the unruly people of Sodom and Gomorrah wanted to come and drag these, these angels, drag these men out to have sex with them, Lot was willing to offer his daughters, sacrifice his daughters. And we read that and it's appalling to us, except if you understand covenant and you understand Lot had no other choice. He was bound to protect those men at, everything, at all costs. And that's why he's willing to offer his daughters. Or in, in the book of Judges, in chapter 11, when, when Jephthah, the judge, comes back from victorious battle and he, and he promised to sacrifice the first thing he saw in an honor to celebrate God, thinking it was going to be a goat or, or a lamb or a bull or something like that, only that his daughter was the one that came out to, to recognize him. But he couldn't go back on his word. 
And so he had to sacrifice his daughter. And even his own daughter understood that because of covenant. So you can see how important it is for us to understand covenant and, and understand to understand the stories and understand how the, the Bible is speaking on these things. And, and it's what's interesting is this notion, this idea of covenant is all over the world. It's, it's, again, it's, it's, we've forgotten about it, but it's still in our culture here in the West, but it's in every nation, it's in every culture, it's in every society. It happens in the Far East, it happens in the Middle East, even in the parts of the world that have not been reached by the developed world. There are elements of covenant still strong within those societies, within those tribes. For example, the, the famous missionary and, and explorer David Livingston. He was able to navigate his way across Africa over, over many, many years and do it safely because of covenants. What he would do is with every tribe he'd come to, he'd make a covenant with that tribe. And, and because he was in that covenant with that tribe, he was now under their protection. So when he would leave that tribe and go to another tribe, he could do so safely because hopefully that other tribe had made a covenant with that tribe he was just with. And so they would host him, they would protect him. And then he would eventually make a covenant with that tribe and, and travel on to the next one. And so he was able to move across Africa because of he's making covenants with these people. And these people, they didn't know about Jesus. They didn't know about the, you know, in any kind of developed world, but covenant was part of their culture. Because here's how it would work. I, I want you to imagine these two tribes. And, and so one tribe is this powerful warrior tribe. And they're skilled fighters. And then you have another tribe, and, and they have no battle, you know, no weapons and no battle sense, but they're great gatherers. They're great farmers. And so you have tribe A, the warriors, and tribe B, the gatherers, and they would get together, and they would make a covenant. And the covenant basically would say that, that what is mine is yours, and what's yours is mine. And they'd often celebrate it through, through a cutting. Right? That's the, the Hebrew word for covenant literally means to cut. And so you would cut a covenant. And what they would do is they would they would they would draw blood by by making a scar and and then they would mix the blood together. I know it's not a pretty picture, but that's what they would do. And then often what they would do even then is they would cause the scar to be even bigger. They would add some dirt or some powder in there. So rather than having a clean scar, they would get a really big scar. And the point being is that scar was a, a memory. That scar was a memento. So every time they looked down, they saw the scar, they would be reminded of the covenant. And so now what happened is, is tribe A and tribe B, they would enter in this covenant, which mine is yours, which yours is mine. And now tribe A would be forever known as tribe AB. And tribe B would now be forever known as, as tribe BA. Again, we, we see this in marriage, right? You know, when I married Joy, that what belonged to me became hers, and what belonged to hers to her stayed hers. And me as well, right? We got to share all that. But let me give you an example. When when her and I, when we got married, I had already begun to work as an engineer. So I was I was saving up. I was had some money now in the bank account, whereas she was still this poor student. She was studying to get her master's in piano performance. And so she had all kinds of student debt. And so when we got married, she got all my savings, all my money, and I got all her debt. Not quite a fair deal in that sense, but trust me, I still came out on top because I married up. But that was the idea that was hers was mine and what was mine was hers. And what a great picture that is with Jesus. 
right? That when we came to Jesus, he took what was ours onto himself. And all we brought with him was our guilt, our shame, our inadequacy, our sins, all of that. That's all we brought into this relationship, into our union. And he says, I want it. Give it all to me. He, he, didn't, he didn't want us to hold on to any of that. And uniting himself to us, he says, I want your guilt. I want your shame. I need it. Give me your sin. And in exchange, what I'm going to offer to you is my life, my, my love, my acceptance, my righteousness, my holiness, and most importantly, my life. And so as, as 2 Peter 1 talks about that, that we now become partakers of this divine nature and we have everything we need for life and godliness because of our un union being united with Jesus in this marriage. So as you can see, it's a very one-sided covenant, which is really not common in this world. I mean, go back to, to my illustration of these two tribes, A and B. You know, you had that warrior tribe and then you had the, the more peaceful farming tribe, the gatherer tribe. They would, they would not normally come into covenant together in this way. Even though they brought a lot to, to the table and they each benefited from it, what would typically happen is, is the warrior tribe would just dominate the other tribe. And so they would, they would overcome and they would imprison and enslave tribe B. And so tribe B would get sucked into tribe A and they wouldn't exist anymore except as slaves because you would never do a one-sided covenant that way. You'd only do a covenant if it would balance out, if, if both would benefit from it. And so most covenants would be two-sided in this way. We might even think of the old covenant, the, the Mosaic covenant as, as being two-sided, where one performs and the other rewards that way. You see, on, on Mount Sinai, Moses, he acts as the mediator. He was the mediator between God and the people of Israel. And what basically happened is God says, here's my promise to you. I'm going to give you 613 commands. And those 613 commands would include the Ten Commandments, but it was, it was more than that. And he says, these 613 commands, if if you honor them, if you obey them, and if you, if you follow all of them, then, then you'll be blessed. And he says in Deuteronomy 29 that, that if you do all of them, that, that you won't be the tail, you'll be the head, that you'll be prosperous, that, that your children will bless you, that your, your livestock, livestock will be plentiful, your crops will grow, and, and you'll never be hungry, and, and so forth. That's if you do everything right and do it perfectly. But if you were to fail, if you, if you didn't keep all the commands, if you didn't trust me entirely, then you wouldn't, not only would you not get the blessings, but you would actually get all these curses. You, you would be the tail, not the head. That you, you wouldn't be prosperous. Your crops would struggle. Your livestock would struggle. That, that nations would mock and despise you. Your, your children would curse you and they wouldn't list you. And it was all about performance. It was all about what did you do to earn the blessings or conversely even to earn the curses. And that's how the old covenant operated. That's how it worked. But notice I call it the old covenant. What does old covenant imply? That there's something new. There's something better. And that's true. 
we have something new. And that, that new covenant isn't a twist on the old. That new covenant isn't, isn't trying to supersize or, or empower you to better keep the old. No, no, the, the new has come to replace the old. To, as the writer of Hebrews says, to make the old obsolete. And that's, that's what Paul's trying to tell these, these churches of Galatia. You see, he's trying to make, make the case to them that you and I, we've been set free from that old covenant, that we no longer have any part, no part of that performance system, no part of any of the 613 commands, including the Ten Commandments. In part because, as Paul was making the case to the churches of Galatia, that that system was guaranteed for us to fail. But that was the point. You see, we were never meant to be successful under that old covenant. We were meant to fail. We were meant to blow it because our failure was meant to lead us to another covenant. It was meant to show us that we could never do it on our own, that we couldn't come to God as an equal. We needed a new covenant, a much better covenant that God was going to do. And so that's the case. That's the, the point that Paul's trying to make in chapter 3. And so he's pointing out to these Galatians in chapter 3 that 430 years before God and Israel entered into a covenant through Moses, God had made another covenant. And that the covenant that he's referring to is actually laid out to us in Genesis chapter, chapter 15. It's, it's a story of, of where God and Abraham are having a conversation. And, and God promised Abraham, and at the time he was known as Abram, he, he promised him that his descendants would be greater than the number of stars in the nighttime sky. Think about that. I mean, think about when you've, when you've gone far enough north where there's no longer any light pollution, and there's a, there's a clear night, and you stare up at the stars, and all you see is just the Milky Way and the countless number of stars we see. And God's saying to Abram, because he would have had no light pollution, he says, look at all these stars. Your descendants will be greater than the number of stars out there. And Abraham's thinking, how, God? I don't, I don't have any descendants. I don't, I don't have anyone to, to have descendants out of this. And what's God saying here? He could have just said, well, Abraham, trust me. Trust me, I'm going to do it. And that would have been enough, right? Because God's yes is yes and his no is no. And that would have been and should have been enough to satisfy Abram. Because all, his, all we need is his word. But Abram's scared. Abram's nervous. And so what God decides to do to, to give confidence to Abram is he decides to enter into a covenant to comfort him, to, to make sure that Abram knows that he's got a guarantee because God will never break his covenant. So he, he instructs Abram now to do a ceremony that was, was common in his day, that was a, 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 a covenant that they would recognize. And again, it was going to be a blood covenant. And so he instructed Abram to collect some animals and, and cut them in half, to sacrifice them and separate them in two and create a bloody path. And again, in our, in our Western, you know, civilized perspective, we might be kind of grossed out by this, but this was common. This was normal. This was as common as a wedding ceremony is to you and I today. And they would cut this bloody path. And, and sometimes it would be a circle. Sometimes it'd be a figure eight. And, and it was to show that this is an everlasting covenant, that it was never going to end, 
And what the two parties would do is they would walk this path, this bloody path together. Again, that figure eight or a circle to say it never ends, but also is if I were to break this covenant, then may I be like these dead animals. Because to break a covenant was to guarantee death. It was the death sentence. And, and so now he's, he lays this all out. He's got the animals, he sacrificed them, he's got the bloody path. It's now time to walk the covenant together. Except when it's time, Abram falls asleep. And, and he, he's forced to go to sleep. It's not like he was tired and up all night. He could not stay awake. He falls asleep on the sidelines. And it says in Genesis 15, at that moment now, a smoking or a burning oven and a flaming torch come. And together, the burning oven and the flaming torch, they walk the path. What does that mean? What does that symbolize? Well, I think the, the burning oven, the all-consuming fire, that's God the Father. And, and the flaming torch, that's Jesus, the light of the world. And so what we see is, is God and Jesus walking this path together, that God and Jesus enter into a covenant that is for Abram's sake, but doesn't require anything of Abram. You see, he's not part of the covenant in the sense that there's any part that he needs to fulfill. The terms of, of the covenant, the, the requirement of the covenant are gonna be God needs to do something and Jesus needs to do something. But Abram's gonna be the benefactor of that. You see, that, that covenant is what we refer to as the Abrahamic covenant, and it's actually the new covenant today. That was the point that Paul was trying to make in the, in the book of Galatians, is that this covenant that God made before, before Abram with Jesus, he made that covenant 430 years before Moses. And, and, and therefore, the old covenant, the Mosaic covenant, does not nullify in any way the Abrahamic covenant. In fact, that new covenant, that Abrahamic covenant, it sat lying in wait. Because, see, that covenant didn't come into existence until ultimately there was a death. You see, that's what was required. See, that's, that's the argument the writer of Hebrews is going to make. So I want to I read to you a, a, a large passage. We'll kind of comment as we read through this here. But, but that's the point that the writer of Hebrews is trying to make is that we have a new covenant and it's a better covenant that has... Oh, um, gotten rid of, supersedes the now obsolete old covenant. So look what he says in Hebrews 9 and verse 11. He says, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more, more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation. So what we see here is, is that this Easter, what we're celebrating in Easter is we're celebrating the beginning of this covenant. And yes, he, he sacrificed in the same form as what we saw in the Old Testament, but he now goes into a much better temple than what we would have here on earth. He didn't come to the earthly temple, the temple of Solomon. Instead, he goes into the temple of God in heaven, the, the perfect tabernacle. And it goes on to say that, and he did it not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. He didn't, he didn't do it through the, the, the sacrifice of an animal, of a, of a lamb, of a goat, of a ram, of a, of, a, of a pigeon or anything like that. He had the perfect blood. 
his own blood. And that's what was required in order for, for his blood to be shed, to be that sacrifice that qualified him to be that priest. And look what it goes on to say. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those have been defiled, who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse you, uh, your, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? It's his own blood his own sacrifice and because of what he's done is he's cleansed our conscience all that guilt all that shame all that that fear and all about that 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 regret that we're just gnawing away and we're afraid of god says i dealt with it i paid the price it's gone and he goes on and he says for this reason he, Jesus, now is the mediator of a new covenant. So that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. For where a covenant is, there must of necessity be the death of the one who made it. For a covenant is valid only when men are dead, for it is never in force while the one who made it lives." See, that's what we celebrate in Easter here. We celebrate his death and his resurrection. His death was the, was the, was the sacrifice required that enabled the covenant to come into effect. See, most of our, our, our Bibles, if you open up and, and you get, go to Matthew 1.1 1, 1, and you turn it back a page, you'll see it says the New Testament. And the word testament just means covenant. And we, we often think of the new covenant beginning, you know, at Matthew 1.1. 1, 1. But the reality is the new covenant began on the cross. It began on Good Friday, that day that, that Jesus says, it is finished. You see that it is finished is a loaded statement. It is finished implies or, or applied to the old covenant. It, it's finished now. There's no need for it anymore. We don't go back to a, to a covenant of performance. We don't go back to a system where I need to perform to gain God's approval, to gain his favor, to gain his blessing. Not anymore. It's finished. I don't have to, to do something to be forgiven anymore. It's finished. I don't have to, to, to make reparations for my sin. It's finished. I don't have to overcome my shame. It was finished. You see, in essence, what Jesus was saying is there's nothing left for you and I to do. He's done it all. And in that moment now, he has, he's entered into a new covenant, entered into a, a, a new system, a new way of operating, a, a new way in which that we can now be experiencing the benefits of, of Jesus in his life. And that's what the resurrection proves to us. You see, I want you to know that, that Jesus' death was the sacrifice, but his resurrection proves to us that that sacrifice was accepted. See, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17, he says, 
If Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. See, what he's declaring here is that when, when God raised Jesus up from the grave, it was a sign to you and I. It was the proof that the, the sacrifice was accepted and therefore all our sins are gone. Did you hear that? All of your sins are gone. John, that's really good news for you. I mean, think about it. I mean, think about it. That's amazing that all your sins are gone. Even the one you're going to commit next week and next month, gone. Completely forgiven. Completely made pure. Given a brand new life. Given a, a brand new heart. And we know that's true because of the resurrection. That's what we celebrate. And, and if you think about it, that's what the early church celebrated. That was the message of the early church. I mean, you, you read through the book of Acts, right? And, and, and the book of Acts is the story of the church. And, and you see, we see actual sermons being preached by Peter and by Paul and by others. And what you notice is they don't go out and just immediately begin to rehash, you know, the greatest hits of Jesus, right? You don't see Peter's take on the Sermon on the Mount, you don't see Jesus, or sorry, uh, Paul telling the the you know one of the parables of of uh, of Lazarus and the rich man. You, you don't see that being told. What you see them proclaiming a message of, he is risen. That this man who you put to death, he is alive. And we have all these witnesses. We have all this testimony. Who can see it? In fact, you can go to the grave, and it's empty. And no one could argue it. In fact, they had to come up with lies, crazy lies, that the disciples stole it. Or it was this swoon theory. He didn't actually die. No, no, he was dead. And he was in that grave for three days until the stone was, was rolled away, revealing this empty tomb. That's the message of the church, that Jesus lives and he lives today, right here, right now. And because of his resurrection, it proves that you and I have escaped death. It proves that you and I have new life. See, that's the other glorious thing about this, this Easter day is we don't just celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of of all who follow him, all who've placed their faith in him. Because of that moment of faith, we're united with Jesus. And that's really important. That's what allows us access to this covenant. You see, remember that, that Abrahamic covenant where, where Jesus and the Father, they walked that path together. They entered into a covenant together. Where, where Jesus says, I will, I will pay the price. I will sacrifice everything. I will be obedient to the death, even to death on a cross. And God says, I'll reward you with new life, with resurrection life. And not just you, but everyone who's in you. You see, what happens at the moment of salvation, at the moment of faith, we now are placed in Jesus. We are now in him and therefore are participating within the covenant. We are participating in the benefactors of a covenant. The best way I could illustrate it to you would be to say that imagine the president of the United States and the prime minister of Canada, they enter into a free trade agreement. They enter into a covenant between the two nations. 
And the moment they hammer out that deal, everybody in the nation of Canada and everybody in the nation of America are benefactors of that, that, that deal. In the same way that, that, that Dr. Livingston, every time he come to a new tribe, he didn't have to make a covenant with everyone in the tribe. He just made it with a chief. But the moment he made it with the chief, he made it everyone in the tribe. They became benefactors of the covenant. And so you and I, being in Jesus, we're benefactors of his work. We're benefactors of what he's done. And so we've been made clean. We've been made holy. We've been made righteous. And we have a whole new life within us now. We have a whole new power. What belongs to Jesus belongs to us. And what belongs to us now belongs to him. He's taken it. He's taken away your sin. He's taken away your guilt. He's taken away the shame when he crucified the old Jew. And we've been given his riches. Ephesians 1.3 says that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. By giving his life to us, we have everything we need now. No more blessings to come. No more needing to earn it. No more needing to pray for more. Just lay hold of what you got. The life of God. And so he goes on to say now in Hebrews chapter 10 and in verse 19, he says, Therefore, brothers, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. Think about that now. You and I now, we have this boldness, this confidence to enter in the holy place. Under the Mosaic system, you couldn't do that because you were dirty, you were a sinner, you were wretched. Only the high priest could go once a year after numerous you know, sacrifices when he was ready for it. And if he ever made a mistake, he would drop down dead. So they would go in with great fear. But you and I now have confidence as we enter into the, the holy place where we stand before God by a new and living way which he, Jesus, inaugurated for us through the veil. He's the way. He's the doorway. That's what was so significant when Jesus says, I am the door. To the, to the people of that day, they understood covenant. He was the pathway in. And if you go through Jesus, you entered into this threshold covenant where he will protect us. And so I'm the door. I'm the way. And he's inaugurated for us through his, he's doing it. That is his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, full confidence, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That's a, you know, to the Hebrews, they would have recognized that as, as Hebrew, sorry, Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27, where this covenant that God made with man that he would cleanse us of all of our sins, that we'd be pure. So let us hold fast. Let us hold with a tight grip the confession of our hope without wavering, the hope that Jesus will return. And when he returns, he will bring us home. See, this is not our home. Isn't that good news? This, this world that is, that is so messed up, so upside down and backwards and doesn't make sense and filled with fear and terror and dread. It's not our home. We're going to go home and, and there's a new heaven and a new earth awaiting for us where we will see Jesus face to face. That's our hope and, and we know it's coming. And so we hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. 
He's made a covenant. He will not abandon it. And so we have that confidence of what's to come, but we have a confidence of where we have and what we have today. And what we have today is enough. And so we're not forsaking one another. Sorry, it goes on. And, and, and so he whose promise is faithful, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our not forsaking our own assembly together as the habit is some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. What a great verse, I think, for, with today. You see, this, this verse here is being used you know, to, to not forsake the gathering of one another, being used to why we need to get together on a Sunday morning in a building. That's not what that verse is about because remember, church is not a location. Church is not what we do on Sunday mornings. The church is the body of Christ. And it says that we're to gather, but there's many ways that we can gather. Ideally, it would be to gather in person, but we can gather online. We can gather in, in an email, in a text message, in a phone call. We can gather in a walk throughout the week. And, and so let us find opportunities throughout the week because I, I think church is more than Sunday morning. It's the body of Christ getting together and experiencing that life of Jesus all week long experiencing Christ in us, where we can encourage one another, support one another, stimulate one another towards love and good deeds. That's what we get to do because we're one with Jesus. Now, some of you may be watching this and that's actually not true of you yet. That you, you haven't accepted this gift. You haven't become a benefactor of the covenant because you're on the outside looking in. And I want you to know that if you've not yet placed your faith in Jesus, you can right now. There's nothing you need to do to, to you don't gotta get clean before you come to him. That's sort of like, you know, getting cleaned up before you have a bath. No, you can come to Jesus just as you are right now and he will love you and he will accept you and he will cleanse you and he will make you righteous. All he asks of you is for your trust. And so you can do that right now. In your heart, just say, God, I want you. Right now in your heart, say, God, I need you. I need, I need you to take my guilt. I need to take my shame because I want you and I want new life. And if you do that in your heart and you confess now that Jesus is your Lord, that's it. You're, you're now a child of God. You're a part of the kingdom. You're a part of the covenant. And there is a party going on in heaven right now. And if, if you've made that commitment right now, if you've, if you've prayed that, please let us know. In, in one of the chats and either on Facebook or on YouTube, just leave a comment that says, I've accepted Jesus today. And there'll be a, a forever moment in time that that, that happened, a, mem a memory of that. But also we can celebrate with you over it. Or, or just at very least go to our website and, and, and leave a comment and, or or, or, or a message on the, the contact us page so that we can celebrate with you and reach out to you and just be excited about what God's done. Because in that moment, not just has your, has your future been secured, but your past has been addressed and your present is now empowered. And we want to celebrate with that. But to the rest of us, we also want to celebrate. Those who have already accepted Jesus this morning, we want to celebrate with communion. And, and communion really is, it's a reminder, it's a celebration of the covenant. 
And that's why God asks us. That's why Jesus says to do this and to do this in remembrance. We're reminding ourselves of the covenant. We're reminding ourselves of the terms of engagement, the terms of which we approach God. Not about performing, but by, by resting in the performance of what Jesus has done. And, and so in Matthew 26 and 26, 28, it says, while they're eating, Jesus took some bread. And so if you've got some bread, I want you to grab that right now. And he, he took some bread and, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave to his disciples. And he said, take it, take and this is my body. And so I want us to kind of think about that right now before you take it and just think that the significance of breaking the bread and this being his body is, is the sacrifice that he did on that cross. All the, the abuse, the beating, the mocking, the scourging, the whipping, being nailed to a cross was his body being broken for you and me, where he became sin on our behalf, even though he knew no sin, he was perfect. But that death he died qualified you and I for this freedom, for forgiveness, for new life. So Father, we celebrate and thank you for the gift, the sacrifice that was the death of Jesus. Matthew goes on to record and when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Again, he talks about the blood of covenant. See, it required a death. That there had to be blood shed as a sign of this covenant. But he, he says, drink from it now. Be, be a partaker of this covenant and celebrate with it. And so God, I, I wanna thank you and thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. But we have this new covenant that means we're forgiven, that we've made new, we're, we're made pure, and that we're united with you or one spirit with you now. And that's never gonna change. And now you empower and equip us to face our todays. Well, I want to I want to thank you for joining us this morning as we uh, as we celebrate Easter and celebrate New Life. Let me uh, let me close this in prayer. Lord, we we bless your name because of this great covenant we have now, a covenant that empowers us and has made us new, and it's one that you've done entirely by you. We're benefactors of it, and we bless your name. And I pray that, that each of us now would be able to, to boldly enter into your presence, knowing that we, we stand with you, that we're united with you, that we are loved by you. And therefore, we are the safest people in the world, the most secure because that love and that acceptance will never diminish, it will never go away. 
all because of what you did. In your name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the New Life Fellowship Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more great content, please be sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca, and sign up for our mailing list. Subscribers will receive our The Life in the Apartment ebook that is sure to encourage and bless. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch the latest services and additional video content. New Life Fellowship is a registered charity that is supported by the giving of partners and friends. All donations will be received. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.